Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. Well, this weekend we're going to wrap up our series closer, and I got to tell you, it's been an amazing series. You know, here I am, the pastor, and yet in this series, I'm learning so much about me and my relationship with God and things that needed to be exposed and, and things I need to work on. And it's been life-changing, crazy life-changing. Well, David Foster tells a story of two young fish who were just swimming along, minding their own business, when they swam into an older fish swimming the other way. Well, the older fish, being kind, nodded them and said, Morning, boys, how's the water today? The two young fish just kind of kept swimming on until one of them stopped, looked at his friend and said, what the heck is water? I, I know that's a stupid story, but I think it's actually a realistic story in some ways or maybe exposes us because here's what I fear. I think we have been running so hard. I think we've microwaved so many things that we don't even really know what matters anymore. I don't think we even understand the things that are most important. I don't think we even understand what a microwave is. It's just crazy. This is why we've been doing this series. And we began multiple weeks ago talking about solitude, the importance of finding that aramis. If you remember, where Jesus was led by the Spirit out into the aramis, his wilderness. And, and it seems like, and we talked about it, and I'm not going to get back into it, but if you haven't heard the series, you need to go back and listen. But Jesus wasn't led to a place that we so often think um, is a bad place. When we think of the desert, a dry place, and that's when Satan comes to tempt us. But it wasn't the devil that led Jesus. It was the Spirit. And he was leading Jesus to where he would be at his best where he'd be alone, where all distractions would be removed. It's an amazing moment. And so we talked about solitude. And then we talked about, as we begin to say, okay, if we need solitude, then how are we going to get there? And we talked about slowing down. I'll just simply say this. I believe this with all my heart. We will never know what it's like to have a closer relationship with God if we try to run in the traffic of man the speed of man, the pace of man. It's just not going to happen. We have to slow down. And that slow is not simply taking the foot off the gas. It's really, if you will, learning to live differently. We've really need to change. Would you agree with that? Well, then we talked about in slowing down what it really means to find silence. Because too often our devotional time, it's us doing the talking, isn't it? We, we sort of microwave that. But what would it be if we could actually, as Moses, the Bible says that God talked to him face to face. God did the talking face to face as a friend talks with his friend. Wow, I, I want that. And that happens in silence. Well, then last week we talked about the need for Sabbath. If we're going to find solitude, then we can't keep running, if you will, seven, eight, nine days. We work six, and then we need to take a day, and we, we talked about what Sabbath looks like. Well, what I want to do now is we're going to wrap this up talking about the Scriptures. 
God's word, the necessity of being in, in the Bible. Remember that old song, the B-I-B-L-E? That's the book for me. I love, I love the phrase, I stand alone. And if need be, I will. But I'm going to stand alone. I'm going to stand whatever on the word of God. That's, that's the B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. Amen to that? And so if you got your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to the book of Psalm. In fact, it's pretty easy to find. If you just take your Bible and, and look to the middle of it and open it up, you should be awful close there. It's the biggest book in the Bible, and it's right there in the middle. The book of Psalm, and we're going to be in the very first chapter in just a moment. But we're talking about the scriptures, and I kind of want to set this up. But listen to what Jesus said in John 6. Like the rain and snow, my words. He's talking about the word of God. What Jesus said, what God said, what we have in the Bible, my words bring forth life and they produce good fruit. Man, that, that means a lot to me. And so if you've got a place to write something down, I just want to tell you two things about God's word and then we're going to unpack uh, how, how we need to apply this to our life. But here's the first thing I want you to write down. The Bible is God's love letter. It's God's love letter. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard uh, was a Danish philosopher and theologian. Here's what he says. Imagine a lover who has received a letter from their beloved. I don't know if you remember those days. Um, uh, hopefully those days aren't that far back, okay? Especially if you're married, okay? But here's what he says. I believe God's word should be just as precious as that. Thus, when you read it, when you think of it, it should be in the same way, in the same light. Like a love letter. And you remember when you wrote those? We always signed them with what? X and O's. Hugs and kisses. Keep that in mind. God's love letter, X and O's. I've always said the Bible is the greatest Hallmark card ever written. It just is. God loves us. He adores us. And, and I got to tell you, what's even cooler than it being the greatest Hallmark card, he loved me so much, he made sure I had a copy. Isn't that just cool? You know, when I was in seminary, one of my professors, he helped me when I now read the Bible. He said this. He simply said, in the beginning, when you read the Bible, in the beginning, God created. Chapter three, man blows it. And the rest of the Bible is God chasing us, telling us he loves us because he can't stand the thought of ever being without us. It's God's love letter. Here's the second thing I want you to write down, okay? The Bible is God's life better. It's not just God's love letter, it's God's life better. And again, if you like to write down X and O's, that's what it is. See, the Bible is like the great coach marking up the chalkboard with X and O's coming up with a great game plan so we can win the game. That's the way I read the Bible when I look at it. It's God's whiteboard. The pages, they're all marked up with X and O's showing us how to have a winning game plan. It's not just God's love letter telling me how much he loves me. It's God's life better. My life gets better because I read and I obey and I trust what he has written. 
You know, I like to say it this way. I've not always got this book right, the Bible, but this book has never got me wrong. You know what the Bible says in Psalm 119? The word of God is a lamp unto my feet. It is a light unto my path. It always gets me where I need to go. Listen to this. This isn't some archaic. When we think of the Bible, it isn't some archaic, out of date, no longer relevant, old book that's filled with rules and regulations. That's exactly what the devil wants us to think. True? It's exactly what he wants. I've had people say, well, the Bible's just not relevant. It's the most relevant book ever written. We're the ones that aren't relevant. You know, I've heard it said, you can't go wrong with it, but you will go wrong without it. Isn't that just true? I I don't know if you like the old hymns. I love them. But there's one by Philip Bliss. And I remember singing this as a child. Sing them over again to me. Wonderful words of life. Let me more of their beauty see. Wonderful words of life. Words of life and beauty. Teach me faith and duty. Beautiful words. Wonderful words. Wonderful words of life. Beautiful words. Wonderful words. Wonderful words of life. Mm. Amen to that. Let's talk about that. We're going to pull this apart. We're going to look at Psalm 1. But as I've been talking and, I, and I, I'm sharing about the Word of God, what's coming to mind for you? The Bible for me seems, it's like my center point. It's like if, if I feel like I'm going astray, the Bible is always what brings me back. It's, 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 it's the center point for everything. That's how, I, that's how I see it. I like how you use the phrase, it makes life better. Because it is. Any area that I want to improve in life, the answer is here. Yeah. My marriage, it's here. Be a parent, it's here. Finances, it's here. Areas of forgiveness or overcoming discouragement or difficult areas, it's here. Every area that I want to better my life, it's in here. Every one. You're exactly right. Not just reading it as another book, but knowing, man, this is life-changing. The Word of God is living and active in what that does in my life. And always understanding that if I'm not reading the Word, there's, there's something wrong. You know, there's always going to be something wrong, but I'm reading the Word and staying in it and really just immer- I'm submerging myself in the Word of God. You know what I mean? That's where life starts, my life starts changing. Mm-hmm. I have to say, just even just knowing that the topic is the Word, it just wells up inside, like a, it fires me up. I mean, because the Word is so powerful. Mm-hmm. Like I can be anxious and worried and up in the middle of the night and just go read the Word and all of a sudden it's just automatically this calm. Mm-hmm. Nothing else can do that but the Spirit of God through His Word that's powerful. Look at Psalm 1. And we're going to begin in the very first verse. Oh, the joys of those. <laughs> I love that. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. Oh, the joys of those who do not stand around with sinners. Oh, the joys of those who don't join in with the mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank. Love that word planted. Bearing fruit each season, their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. 
the power of God's word. Isn't that amazing? Uh, Listen to the words of Pastor Warren Wiersbe. The great need among churches and Christians today is to return to the Bible. Man, is he right. If the churches do not get back to God's word, the satanic deceivers will take over and millions of lost sinners will go to hell because they were led astray by religious lies. I want to give you three keys to God's word that what it can do and only do, okay? I want to give you three keys to it. If we're going to access the word, we better understand these three keys. And we're going to pull them right out of this this psalm. Here's the first one. It first has to get planted. It first has to get planted. You know, there's a story about an old farmer who was driving home from his annual trip to the city when he saw a couple tree farmers planting their crop by hand. He had some extra time, and so he thought he'd just stop and watch them plant these trees, but he couldn't believe his eyes as they dug holes and filled them back in without dropping any seed in the hole. Finally, his curiosity got the best of him, so he got out of his truck, walked over and said, what in the world are you guys doing? We're planting trees, said one of the guys, but you're planting them with no seed. Well, there's usually three of us, you have to understand. You see, my friend here digs the holes, Jimmy plants the seeds, and then I fill the hole, but Jimmy's homesick today. (laughs) Okay, again, stupid story, right? But I wonder how many Christians, that's what they do. They come to the altar and they give their life to Christ. They seem to do all the right things, but they never take the word of God and plant it in their life. They somehow think that Christianity is showing up on the weekends it's convenient, depending how they feel. They go through some motions, and I think it's sincere to some respect. But then the rest of the week, they just go through the week, and they wonder why. They never take the Word of God and plant it. The author in Psalm just said that those who delight in the law of the Lord, they are like a tree planted by the rivers of life. Do you know what the word planted means? It means to fix it in place. This is an important moment. See, God's word doesn't just happen. It requires great intentionality. In other words, God's word isn't going to grow on you. You have to let it grow in you. And for that to happen, you have to plant it. You have to put it in its place. I want you to write something down. Nothing happens until something happens. Nothing happens until something happens. It's called the law of physics. And does anyone know who created the law? God. And the same is true when it comes to our lives in Christ. If we're going to have this relationship that's closer and that relationship that's vibrant, it requires that we take God's word and plant it in our lives. Don't just open up the hole. Put the seed of the word in it. I've always said this. If you take something out of your life, 
you have to put something back in its place. When you surrender your life to God, you've got to put his life in its place. What James says in, in James 1, humbly accept the word. He's talking about planting that word within you. It says this, for it has the power to save your soul. I think just what you just said right there was just so important that when we take something out of our lives, we need to put it back, put something back in to fill that place. I think sometimes as believers is when we're not reading the word as we try to fill that void with other things and we're never satisfied. But if we fill that void with the word of God and when we surrender our lives and put the word of God in us and what you said, you don't let it grow on you, but you let it grow in you. Mm -hmm. That work begins to happen. I loved what you said about it's more than people just coming to the altar and saying that they surrender to Christ. Because God says that when we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and we believe that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. But without the heart in it, without believing in what you're doing, then you're, you don't really have anything. Because even Satan believed in Jesus, but he didn't love God. He didn't follow God. So I think that when, what you said about when, if you don't, what did you say? You said, if nothing happens until something happens, if you're not investing in what you're doing, then you still don't have anything. Shows the huge disparity between <clears throat> having faith in the word of God versus living in the world and, and, um, and abiding by the laws of man um, and only the laws of man. Because if you look at that, you see the disparity because um, you're like, you're looking for food and you're eating, but you're not satisfied. Um, when you <clears throat> invest in the Word of God and you edify yourself with the Word that He's given, you're, you're getting satis satisfaction out of that Word. So there's a huge difference. Most people would be able to finish the phrase, and the truth will set you free. Most people say that. But the reality is that that's not really a true statement at all. Because truth doesn't set you free, it's only the truth that you apply that sets you free. So I can know truth about being physically fit, but if I don't apply it, it doesn't matter anything to me. And I was thinking about that, John 8, Jesus said this. He says, you are truly my disciples. If you remain faithful in my teachings, then you will know the truth and then the truth will set you free. Mm -hmm. So it's the truth that you plant, apply, then it'll set you free. Amen. I love what you just said, Reed. It's not the truth that sets you free. It's what you do with that truth. Which brings me to number two. So first, we have to plant the word. Well, secondly, for the word to do what it only can do, it has to become personal. And I think this is the biggest problem. And I think this is what Christina was just talking about. See, it's one thing to know God's word. It's another to own yeah. God's word. It can't just come to mind. It has to come to heart. Yeah. It has to become personal. You know, I know a lot of people who own a Bible. The question is, does the Bible own them? That's good. That's good work. See, that's the key. D.L. Moody said, the Bible was not given to increase our knowledge. The Bible was given to change our lives. And what we just read in the Psalm, they delight. They delight. They don't stand in the seat of a mocker. They don't sit around the ugly. They, they don't just, if you will, uh, let the world influence them. They delight in the law of the Lord. They delight. They plant that seed, but they make sure that seed becomes personal. It means something to them. The word delight means extreme satisfaction. 
And, and so let me just ask you, when we think about God's word, his love letter, it's, it's the Bible so we can live better. Do you really like being a child of God? It's not always fun, but it's enjoyable. I love my daddy. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm grateful to tell people about my daddy. Mm -hmm. I'm not ashamed of my daddy. I'm not embarrassed mm -hmm. by my daddy. I want everybody to know who my daddy is. Mm -hmm. See, it's personal to me. That's why I say it's God's love letter. But if I wrote a girl to tell her how much I love her and she doesn't really return that love, well, that card doesn't mean much, does it? But when I write a card to my wife, it means everything to her. Why? Because she loves who I am. See, the Bible is God's love letter, but it's not going to become personal if you really don't love the one who is signing it with all the X and O's. See, it has to become personal. The author of the Bible is my daddy. You know, Pastor Tony Evans says this. Do you know what our problem is? We weren't there when God spoke his word. Because if we had, we probably wouldn't be as casual about it as we are today. Mm -hmm. wow. Whoa. Mm -hmm. Think about that. But we can be there when it becomes personal. That's what makes the word so powerful. Psalm 119 says this, your word, David says, I have treasured in my heart. Why did he say that? It became personal. He says, therefore, I do not want to sin against it. Wow. The power of God's word when it becomes personal. Let's talk about it. This book is life. I think we've talked about that. This book is, is life for me. Um, and you, you say personal, who I am. I mean, this, this helps me to be who I am. This gives me hope. It's hard for me to imagine people going through life without hope and without life that this brings. So to me, this is life. This, and that's personal to me. This, this is my life. When I make this personal, I can't, not read this, you know what I mean? Because my body, my soul needs it. You know, so when you make it personal, as I can't go days, weeks without reading the word because my body needs it, my soul needs it. It's part of who I am. It's, a, it's not about reading the Bible. It's about the relationship, like you said. And when you, when you want it, when you want your father, you want to know him more, then the power of the Holy Spirit working through it it just, even if you're convicted about things that you're doing wrong, it's not a condemnation. Yeah. It's a, oh, I need to change that, but you can sense the love of your father. And then other times it might be just an overwhelming sense of, I really love you. Like God really telling me that he loves me. And that brings me to the most humble place that I could be is when I know how much God loves me. And that's not where the devil wants us to be. Mm -hmm. He wants us to think that no, we're not good enough, and we're not loved. 
He doesn't want us to know. So the more we can really find ourselves in here and be found in Christ, the better. The Bible has to be planted. If it's going to do what only the Bible can do, you have to plant it. But then you have to make it personal. Here's the third and finally, it has to be practiced. It has to be practiced. See, it's one thing to read it. It's another to make it your daily activity. You can't be just a weekend reader and feeder. You have to make God your daily exercise. Paul urges us in the book of Philippians, he writes, keep putting into practice all that you have learned. You ever heard the old adage, practice makes perfect? Well, it does. That's what obedience is. When we read God's word and we put it into practice, that's the incredible expression that Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey. You put it into motion. You keep doing the right thing over and over again. Jesus said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and put it into practice. That's what Jesus said. He goes on to say, they are like a wise person who built his house on a rock. Those are powerful words. It's amazing what God's word can do. I don't know if you've heard these words. Winners do consistently what losers do occasionally. And we all know that to be true. You can learn it through the NBA of understanding how these great giants of athletes get to where they're at. It's through practice. They keep doing the same thing over and over and over. You know, Pastor Chuck Swindoll says, news articles may inform us, novels may inspire us, poetry may captivate us, but only the living, active Word of God can transform us mm -hmm. when it's practiced. Can I tell you something? The life you're looking for, it's not going to be found in those once-in-a-lifetime moments. That, that thing that you keep waiting for. The life you're looking for is found in the routine. It's found in the repetition, that dull, monotonous stuff. Doing the same thing over and over again and again, day in and day out. Because when it becomes game time, game over. That's how it happens. I want to ask you something. Do you want to prosper in life? Like, would you really want to discover when we talk about being closer than you could ever imagine in your relationship with God? If you really desire that, it's, this is where the rubber hits the road. Mm -hmm. It's learning to do that same thing every day over and over when it comes to God's word. And I'm going to plan it. It's going to be personal because it's such life-giving and life-changing, but it's something I have to do every day. Let's talk about it. As simple as if I want there to be transformation in my life, I have to be in the Word of God. There's no, there's no excuse. There's nothing that can replace it. 
although it's good to read books and get educated, if I'm not in the word of God, my life's not being transformed. And as a father, if I'm not reading the word of God, what am I showing my daughter? What, how, what example am I being to my wife? Um, so for me as a father and a man of God, I have no excuse. I have, I have to be in the word of God. Mm -hmm. I want my life to be transformed and be an example to my wife and daughter. I think about when I gave my life to Christ and remembering that when I think back on when that first happened, I didn't realize the growth until I started reading the word of God because it's through the, those routines that those routines become habits. And when those tougher times come, you've already been practicing and you've already been training yourself and disciplining yourself in God's word. So things don't come and hit you in the same way as they would. You know, I think a lot of people uh, think when you become Christian, you're all of a sudden just changed. And, and I don't think people put enough thought into sometimes it becomes a practice and it's something that has to develop that relationship with Christ. And it's not something that's always going to happen overnight, but you have to put in the time and start making those habits a part of your lifestyle to see that change and that transformation. It's funny that you said practice because um, that's what's essential <clears throat> when people practice Christianity. Um, we're practicing being Christ-like. Mm -hmm. And that's, what, that's, that's the marker. We're not perfect. Mm -hmm. but that's the marker that we're striving to right. become. So anything that we do that is not um, in that direction, that's what we should avoid. And so the word is our edification. And that's really all I look at it for is, edif I mean, what I, not all, but what I look at it for is edification. Um, it does much more than that. Anybody that I know that's been in the military, they're taught to react, to respond instantly mm -hmm. to something that happens so that they don't have the ability, they don't have the time to think about it. They react because that reaction can save a life. And that's what that does for me. It's every day when I look at it, read it every day, every day, every day, suddenly something happens, I know instantly what I'm supposed to do. I don't have to think about it and emotionally deal with it. I just know, nope, this is what we do instantly because we're a soldier and we have to, we're in a fight. And so once that happens, this word gives me the ability to do that. Now I want to read to you from Psalm 19. Listen to these words. The revelations of God the information of God, are you ready? Will put your life together. The signposts of God are crystal clear and will point you in the right way. The life map of God is right, showing us the way to joy. The directions of God are plain and they're easy to follow. God's reputation is 24 karat gold with a lifetime guarantee. The decisions of God are accurate down to the nth degree. It's better than a diamond, better than strawberries in the spring. I love those words. That's from Eugene Peterson's The Message. The Bible holds the supreme authority by virtue of its author the king of creation, the ruler over all the earth. We can trust every word that's in it, just as there's no higher authority in any earthly kingdom than a king. There is no higher authority we can appeal to than the word of God. You know, as we wrap up the series, 
I'm going to get a little personal with you. In a moment, I'm going to pray for you. But I'm going to ask that we take a 30-day challenge. You know, I don't do something like this very often. But for the next 30 days, I'm going to ask you to do something. Now, here's why. Because the way we make changes in our lives, if we really want to be closer to God, then there's some physical things that we have to do because it not only sends a message to God how serious we are, but it positions ourselves in such an amazing way. There's a a moment, if you could, when you go to uh, get engaged in that moment that you want your bride, future bride, to accept the invitation, what do we do? We get down on a knee. There's something special in that moment that the moment you start getting on that knee, tears begin to flow down her face because she knows what's coming. In the same way, this is what this 30-day challenge is. Now, in the marriage series that we just concluded several weeks ago, one of the things that I share with you is that if you want your bedroom to be a playground, not a battlefield, was take the television out of the room. I don't know if you did that. I fear that some of you said, well, I'd never do that. But I'd only say that, why? What is it about us that we try to hold on to things because what could be seems so foreign that we we try to hold on to the familiar? Probably why during this virus we struggle the way we, we do and why we want to get back to what we call normal. But I contend that we really haven't lost that much in this virus. I think we've gained more. But now I'm going to ask you to do something. If we're serious about getting closer, for 30 days, I'm going to ask that you take this out of the bedroom. When you go in at night, you you charge it, you plug it in somewhere else in the house and you let it charge there through the night but you don't put it by the bed some of you would say but that's that's what I, I wake up to that's my alarm clock well I want you to know as a gift to you I would love the privilege of giving you one of these I will take care of it I will buy it for you if you like electric one, we can do that as well. A digital one, whatever you want. But I'm asking you to take the phone out of the bedroom. Just as I asked to take the TV out, and I would still encourage you to do that. Now you say, why would I do that? Because too often what we do is this becomes sort of a game, if you will. I know a lot of people that, that they sit there and they check things out. They, they scroll through the web. They surf it. Uh, they might even play a game before they go to bed. I've been guilty of that. And then they put it over. And then they go off to sleep. And I want you to think about it. The last thing that was on their mind probably wasn't God. And it probably wasn't their spouse's voice. There's probably something in the world, some of that information that we probably shouldn't even be looking at. But I'm asking you, and you might say, but, but when I wake up in the morning, Pastor, uh, it's my alarm clock. That's why I said I would buy you one of these. I will give this to you. You just let us know. And we'll make sure that we get one. You can stop by the church office and we'll put one in your hand. Whatever it takes. 
And, and if you struggle getting out because of the virus, we'll make sure we bring it by or we'll mail it to you. But the bottom line is this, what I want you to replace it with is God's word. See, if we're gonna get closer, we've gotta put some things in play that position us, if you will, down on one knee, humbly before God saying, I'm gonna do these things because I wanna be as Moses, where you speak to me face to face and you talk with me as a friend talks to a friend. And see, what happens is, is now you set the alarm 30 minutes earlier, which means maybe you need to go to bed 30 minutes earlier. But now there's no TV, there's no phone in the room, because so often when people get up, I know many people have told me the first thing I do is I check to see who texted me. I check to see if any emails came in. That's not the way to start your day. What I'm asking you to do is when the alarm clock goes off, you turn it off and you pick up God's word and you go to Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2 and here's what you do. Just those two chapters for 30 days and you read them over and over and you circle everything in those chapters that God says about you. You'll be amazed where it says, I am chosen, I am loved, I am his beloved. And you start learning about who your true identity is. Church, this is so important. This is so vital that we do these things. I wanna pray for you. But first, I want you to listen to these words. I've asked Jonathan to play and I've asked Pastor Chris to sing. And I want you to listen to these words as our anthem. That God, we want to be closer. Listen to these words. In the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Give me Jesus. I want to pray for you, and I'm going to ask right now, wherever you're sitting, wherever you're watching, whatever screen you're looking at, I want you to reach out to the screen right now because I believe that the power of God is so amazing. It can move in a mighty way, and God is going to fill the presence and the place that you're at. Just reach your hands out again as an anthem, just physically before God. Maybe you want to get down in one knee. Maybe you want to get down in both knees. Whatever it is, I want to pray for you. Father God, I want to be so close to you like Moses was close to you. God, give me Jesus in such a way as that old hymn speaks that he walks with me, that he talks with me. God, I want to hear the voice of who you are. God, there's so many things in this world that are a distraction to me. 
So many things are pulling at my attention and drawing me away from you, not pulling me closer. God, so many of us have bought into the lie that every day we have so much to do, but what do we have to do that has eternity on it? We're first and foremost that we're not just with you. That's what we have to do. That's the most important thing that we have. We start our day with you. God, forgive us. Forgive us when we've gone through life thinking somehow we can do it in and of ourselves. God, forgive us that somehow we go through our day and we invite you into it that somehow we forgot the fact that you already made the day and you're inviting us into yours. God, I want to be drawn closer. I want to be moved in such a powerful way to hear your voice, to know you, to understand my identity in you. I am a child of God and you have eternity stepped all over my life. God, I pray for everyone who's watching. I pray for all those who are listening. God, that you would move in a mighty way. That God, they would feel your presence truly. The way we reach out and touch someone. God, the way we feel the wind when we go outside. When we hear the birds, that God, we would experience that right now in the presence of your spirit. God, you're not some archaic God. You're not some God that's far removed. You are up close and personal. And just as the Spirit led Jesus into the Aramis, God, you're leading us, calling us, longing us, beckoning us to move into solitude. There we find what it means to be closer where we die to ourselves, where we die to our understanding, we die to our ways, and life begins anew. We begin to understand what it means to slow down, to silence our lives. That God, when we come through the week, we long for the hunger of a Sabbath to just commune with you in a beautiful, mighty way. The word of God begins to come alive in ways we've never known. That that seed gets planted, it becomes personal. And we practice it out in our lives. Oh, the power of who you are. God, may that be. God, thank you. Give me Jesus. Give 
I've truly loved this series, and I hope that you have as well. You know, God wants to be close to us, that we would experience him just as Moses did, face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. Can you imagine how amazing that would be? Well, the principles that we've been sharing over the past five weeks are the key to having such a relationship. If you've missed a message, you can catch up by visiting our Celebrate YouTube channel, as well as checking out our podcast on Spotify. And when I come to die, oh, and when I come to die, oh, and when I come to die, give me Thanks for joining us today. I love being your pastor. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless.